That's what we're doing tonight. Wow. Good to see you. Thanks for coming out. Uh, I'm Dan Meyer, one of the pastors here, and we are in a series called Red Letters, still, and uh, going through the teachings of Jesus. And tonight we're going to be looking at uh, a number of different verses you'll see on your fridge fold, you'll see them on the screens, out of the Gospel of John. And basically these, these scriptures come out of John 6 through John 15. Um, all of these places where Jesus kind of uh, equivocates himself with God. Basically Jesus says, I am God. Something that demands our faith. I remember... Uh, just, just being a, a teenager, being about 17, 18 years old, I was sitting in my room, and my mom came in, and she had tears in her eyes, and she sat down on the bed next to me, and I was like, what's up, mom? And, uh, and she started just kind of talking to me and saying, you know what, Dan, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. You need to explain something to me, see, because I've watched you in your life, I've, I've trained you, I've taught you God's word, and, and there was a time just, just a few years ago where, where you were seeking after God, where I knew that you got it, that, that you had a relationship with God, but now, like, I, I don't see that, I, in fact, I, I see the opposite, I see you running away from God and turning away, and, and, and I just... I want to know, is, is it something that, that I've done? Is it something that, that your dad has done? Does somebody do something to you? What is it that has caused you to turn your back on God? Why don't you have faith anymore? And I kind of held back, honestly. I, 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 didn't, I didn't really want to tell her what I really thought about faith at that point. I just kind of sat there and I listened and I just kind of hemmed it a hard and said, you know, well, you know, I'm just having a, a rough time right now and, you know, I'll get around to, to getting back to God. I'll get around. Like, I know, I know God's out there, but I don't, I just kind of worked around it and she just wouldn't let go. She just, no, there, there's something else. What is it? What is, what is this battle that you're going through? And finally, I just told her. I just said, you know what? Um, I believe that faith is for the weak. I think faith is a crutch. I think faith is for people who don't know how to live life well, and so they need somebody to baby them. And she cried some more. <laughs> but that is really where I was in my faith, in my understanding. I, I'd seen hypocrisy. I'd seen people who professed to be Christians, and I'd seen them do all kinds of ungodly things. And I just simply said, I don't want anything to do with that. Therefore, I don't want anything to do with God. And my faith was really not about so much my relationship with God as much as it was other people's relationship with God. What they did in their lives that inspired and motivated me, you know? I looked to them for my quote of the day. You know, I look to them for my inspiration and my passion instead of really living in true fellowship with God, in true relationship with God. Now, just a few years after that, I gave my heart and soul to God. And I, and I just said, God, I'm all in. I've explored the depths of, of my own weakness and my own pain, and, and I need you. I admit that, that I have need of you, God. I am weak. But I want to find out what faith 
is really, because I know that it's more than just a crutch. I know even though I said that and it was, it was vicious and it was malicious in my heart, I know that faith is more than just something that weak people need in random moments. And we see in the life of Jesus that Jesus had faith in God. It's kind of a weird thing to say. Jesus had faith in God. Because a lot of times what we like to do with Jesus is we like to take him and, all right, there's Jesus. He's the son of God, right? He's my savior, and he is fully God. And we forget sometimes that he's fully human. And because he was fully human, he also had to live by example for us and have faith in God. Now, he had experienced absolute, unfettered, uninhibited relationship with God. And because of that, Jesus knew who he was following and why he was following. And Jesus' life and teaching shows us that faith isn't really about blindness at all. In fact, it really isn't about, uh, it's, it's, it's about clarity. It produces the ability to see. Faith defines reality. Jesus was fully human, but also he was fully God. And in that place where he was, you know, kind of experiencing God in, in eternity, outside of time, having that, that uninhibited relationship with God, that, that absolute perfect harmony and, and communion and, and the perfect dance of submission and power within the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Somehow, as he became human, and as he set aside his, his kingness in heaven and, and came and, and put on flesh, we know that that fellowship with God never stopped. The Bible records for us that even in Mary's womb, that, that the Spirit of God was upon him. And so that relationship, that experience with God was, was unfettered. The same gift that he gives you and I, the power of the Holy Spirit. He experienced God, and that is what really defined his existence. Now, I think there's a lot of things that define us. Uh, Rene Descartes, you know, she said, uh, he said, um, sorry, my wife's name is Rene. <laughs> I twisted there for a second. Um, he said, you know, I think, therefore I am, right? You know, but, but truthfully, you know, my ability to think and to comprehend and to interact with the world around me isn't what defines me. In fact, I would say, I have thought a lot of things that were absolutely untrue. I, I have felt a lot of things that were absolutely untrue. And both my thoughts and my, and my feelings have combined and swayed me and, and deceived me to the point where I have believed a lot of things that were absolutely untrue. Now, if you took all of the people in the world who just loved math and put them in a room and said, all right, you know, here we are. We've got the truth. Two plus two is four. Now, what do you, what do you think about this? What do you believe about this? Will you die for this truth? I bet both of them would absolutely just say, you know what, it's not really a life-changing truth. Two plus two is four, sure, you know, like, it's true, I can prove it. Here, give me a couple apples and a couple oranges, we'll add them together and we'll show you, you know, yes, here's four of something. But none of those people are going to lay down their life for math. But there's a lot of people that lay down their life for the truth of God. God's math, that one plus one plus one equals one. The Holy Trinity, the perfect communion, the fellowship, the relationship 
the relational God. This week alone, in Pakistan, uh, a radical religious group barged into a church and began fights and then pulled out guns and just began to mow people down. In Malaysia, the Bible is, is banned. I have the Bible on my phone. I have the Bible, two different versions on my Kindle. I've got Bible software. You go to my house and look at a bookshelf. I've got no less than 10 Bibles just there. I keep a Bible in my car. I have more Bibles than I know what to do with or have time to read and, and invest in. Yet these people, hungry for God's Word, can't get a Bible. In northern Nigeria this week, churches have become bomb targets. And as I hear about these things going on in the world where people are living out faith and, and living for Christ in, in very real, very dangerous situations, it challenges me. And it makes me say, Dan, what is it that you really believe? What is it that, that really defines you? How is this truth really impacting your life? Jesus didn't define himself by what he thought or what he saw or what he felt or what he tasted or what he heard. He defined himself by God. He said, I am because he is. I am because he is. Jesus came as fully God, but he became fully human to show us how to live, how to be spiritually linked to the Father through a life of action and experience through relationship. And really, our humanity is defined by this spiritual component. I think a lot of times, you know, we think of our humanity and we think of the things that we, that we can relate with tangibly. But God has given us another part, the spirit of God, the, the spirit of, of us that's meant to be internal, that eternal, that is, that is meant to govern and control the other parts of our being. Our spirit is meant to tell our minds what to think and our hearts what to feel. And it's meant to, it's meant to tell our bodies what to do. The Spirit of God, when it's linked with the, this, when, this, when, our, when our spirits are linked with the Spirit of God, then the things that we begin to live out in this life of faith are holy. They're set apart. They're different. They're good. There's no laws against them. Well, Jesus, in his definition of, of being defined by God, really kind of, as we get into these verses, you kind of have to go back just a little bit more to see who God has consistently and eternally expressed himself to be. And so there's these verses in, in Exodus where, where God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I've got, I've got a job for you. I've got a calling. Moses is kind of just kind of going about his daily business. He, he's cleaning up after the sheep and, he, and, he's, and he's herding the sheep and he's taking them to to where there's grass and, and, and where there's water. And in the midst of these kind of daily activities, he comes upon this burning bush. You know the story. And I would too. He just kind of you know, approaches this burning bush like, this is, kind of, this is kind of interesting. What's going on? It's not burning up. And all of a sudden he hears this voice, Moses, hey man, you are on holy ground. Take off your shoes. Be set apart. I, I've got something that I want to say to you. And so Moses is, is taken aback and he doesn't really know what to do. It's kind of strange and God says it again. Moses, take off your shoes. You are on holy ground and he does it immediately. And then God begins to lay out for Moses what his plan is. Moses, 
You're my creation, and I am the one that defines you, and I have a calling, and I have a purpose for you. Well, Moses seems to define himself in other ways because as he's listening to God, he begins to argue with God. We never do that, I know. But he begins to, to argue with God and say, No, God, you know what? I'm, I'm not really qualified. God, I'm, I'm certain that you can find someone that smells not like sheep. I'm certain that you can find someone that doesn't have a stutter. I'm sure you can find someone that, that is not, well, not old and not tired and not comfortable in his life. I'm sure you can find somebody that really wants to do what you want him to do. And God says, Moses, you're my man. And so he responds. And he says, all right, God, I will do what you want to do, but I need to know. They're going to ask me, God. I see it. I kind of have this reputation. Everybody knows that, that I'm the Jew that ran away. Everybody knows that I'm the Israelite that, you know, that, that just, I left the scene of the crime. And they're going to ask me whose power I come in. And God, I need to know your name. Who are you? In those days, all of, the, all of the gods had different names, and they all meant different things. And so the people had gods like Baal, Master, and gods like Ashtardi, the goddess of love. And he says, I need to know who you are. And so in Exodus, God replies to Moses, and he says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. That's you and I. I am who I am. God, who are you? I am who I am. And in this phrase, God unleashes this eternal phrase that forever keeps him out of the box. We like to keep God in a box. Well, see, God, God, he's, he's a judge. And so what I need to do is I need to do a whole lot of good works so that I can be right with God. Or maybe we don't like God as judge. Maybe we like God as love. Well, God is love, and, and God is, man, that peace, joy, love, happiness, everything's good. God is accepting God loves me just like I am. God doesn't ever look bad at me. He only thinks good thoughts about me. And we like to kind of quantify and qualify God. And God says, you know what? I am those things, but it's not all that I am. I am who I am. I define who I am. You don't define who I am. I define who you are. And sometimes we like to take God and we like to go, all right, God, well, yes, there is a God, but he's unknowable. There he is. He's out there. He's God. I'm not. I'm just a human. And, well, thank you, God, for, for giving me life, and now I'm going to go live it how I want. Because, God, you're, you're intangible. You're, you're unknowable. And so God replies. And he says, here, let me break off a piece of myself. Let me put on flesh. And let me come and, and be born and walk amongst you and live in the same pain and the same struggle and the same temptation that you do. And let me let you know just how much I love you and just how real I am. 
Not because I need to know what you think, but because you need to know how much I love you. Jesus had faith in God. And in this place of this faith, you know, in, in this battle, in this, in this living out his daily life, praying fervently for the decisions that he had to make, and trusting God even to death, you know, even at his death, crying out, God, I, I give you my soul. I commit my soul to you. And in the very daily things, I'm sure when Jesus stubbed his toe, he didn't just cry out, hallelujah, every time. You know, like, it wasn't something that, I'm sure he had other things come into his mind. I mean, he was human. He battled with, with temptation. But he reconciled those things sinlessly to God and said, God, I'm going to take the pain, I'm going to take the struggle, I'm going to take the temptation, I'm going to take the trial, and I'm going to let you define how I react and who I am. Well, the Gospel of John, John lays out like all of these I am statements. So what he does um, is he spends time in, in chapter, really about chapter 4 or chapter 6. There's a few things in chapter 4. But really chapter 6 through chapter 15, basically putting together this whole like, chronology of, of these interactions that Jesus has. Things like, like miracles. And, and things like conversations that he has with some of the religious leaders. And then in the midst of all of that, he throws in these statements these poignant statements of, of who God says he is in the midst of those things. There's no way we can go through these statements, and there's, there's even more than this, and, and kind of really give us the full context, but I'm going to set it up just a little bit, just with some phrases before we reach, before we read each thing. But God, God really had John hone in on what he wanted to convey through the gospel, that, that Jesus was sent from God, that Jesus was one with God, and that Jesus returned to God. So let's look at some verses in John. They're on your fridge fold. They're going to be on the screens. And what I want you to do is I want you to just listen. I just want you to listen to these words. Just think about the things. Just kind of receive it on a surface level. To let us know where our source of life is, he says in John 15. I'm the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. To guide us when we feel lost and when we need purpose, he says in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust God and trust also in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. In the face of Lazarus' death, before Lazarus even died, and Jesus knew and proclaimed that he would die, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And then he raised Lazarus to life. To echo the 23rd Psalm and to let us know that his protection and provision exists, he says in John 10, I'm the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for my sheep. To let us know where our safety and security are found, he says in John 10, I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved and they will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. They have this thing called the Feast of Tabernacles where they would remember these verses out of, out of Isaiah and out of Psalm 82. And what they would do is they would proclaim that God was the light of salvation. And in the very glow of the torches lit, to remind the people at the Feast of Tabernacles that God is the light of salvation, Jesus says in John 8. I'm the light of the world. If you will follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And then after the miracle of feeding the 5,000, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. I think if we're honest with ourselves, then, then we find that there's times that we just come to God to get our fix. That we come to God for a, a shot of five-hour energy. That we come to God because we hurt, and because we're in need. I think if we're honest, we, we come to God just simply a lot of times as a pick-me-up when we're low. And this week I found that, that I had lost some of my appetite. I picked up the Bible and, and, and I set a time aside of about four hours, which is not a long time, to just spend with God in these verses. And I, and I started reading John 6 and I read through John 15 and then I read it again and I just kept reading and God, what is it that you want to speak in this? And, and, and I got so many good things and then after, after a few hours, I was just kind of like, just kind of pushed the Bible away. So I got them full. But God wasn't done. God wanted to speak more, and God wanted to, to fill me up, and God wanted to, to bear more fruit in me. But I just kind of pushed God away. I said, God, that was good. That was, thank you so much. But I'm full. And I think a lot of times we, we come to God simply to find that line of, of just, where can my faith still be faith? But it doesn't have to be like radical faith. Where can I believe? But maybe I, maybe I don't really believe with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my soul and all of my strength. Maybe, maybe I don't really love God with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my soul and all of my strength. And about two days later, that's kind of what God spoke to me. He says, Dan, you, your appetite has decreased a little bit. And I began to think back on, on, on times when I was just like really hungry for God where I just couldn't get enough. And I just said, God, you know what? I am so sorry. I, I have let other things get into my heart, into my mind. There are some things that are going on in my life right now. God, there, there's some cares of the world where my mind has been distracted and where my heart is 
Honestly, my heart is finding joy over here, and it should be finding more joy in you, God, and I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? We're going to take communion tonight. And there's kind of like a, a two-step process with communion. It's letting God illuminate our hearts. It's letting God speak to us and, and say, where are those dark places? Where are the places that you can love me more, Dan? Where are the places that you're not being fully satisfied by me, but in fact you're, you're being satisfied by something or someone else? A pill is giving you your happiness and your joy and your peace. And you haven't really given me a chance. Another person is giving you the reason to wake up in the morning. And you haven't really given me the chance to be your lover. When we come to the table, that's the first part is, is the light of the world. Letting God illuminate our hearts. And the second part is the bread of life. I think a lot of times we can come to God just kind of like on that borderline and, and desiring to have just enough faith. And a lot of times we're just kind of like a nursing babe. We're just suckling on God's breast and saying, God, just, just kind of cuddle me and cradle me and make me all warm and fuzzy and cuddly and just take care of me, God. And there's that time where God says, you know what, that's awesome, and I want to do that, and, I, and, I, and I, that's part of who I am, but that's not all that I am. It's time also to mature, and it's also time to grow up, and it's time to eat some solid food. And so as we come to the table, and as we take the bread, that we, have, that we, that we understand that he is the bread of life. And say, God, I want you to define me. I want you to define what satisfies my appetites. I want you to define what satisfies my sexuality and the emotional side of me and where I find my security and where I find my peace and where I find my joy and my hope. God, I want you. And if you don't want him, then just say, God, would you make me hungry? Pray a bold prayer. God, would you make me discontent with things that are leading me away from you where I'm just simply not satisfied by you? We're going to do kind of a different kind of, of communion. It's called intinction. We have Triscuits, so Jesus is wheat-based and lightly salted today. We just take the bread. The focus is, is on the bread, and you're just going to dip it into the juice. Because the focus is on that he is the bread of life. Let him define what satisfies you. The band's going to come up and lead us through a couple songs. And there's plenty of time just to reflect. And just to give your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength to God again. And say, God, I want to be like Jesus. I, I want to live with you daily in communion and fellowship. And that can start now. If you feel far from God, you may not even acknowledge Christ as your Savior. If you want to have that conversation or if you want somebody to pray with you about that, then come and, and grab myself or Pastor Mark. I'd be happy to pray with you. But if you confess Jesus as your King, as your Lord, 
as your lover, as your friend, then come to the table with joy. But don't come alone. Because if you are a follower of Christ, then there are other followers of Christ in this room, and they are your family. So come with a brother or a sister. Come to the table as family, celebrating our Lord, celebrating Jesus Christ. And say to one another, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and this is the blood of Christ to wash away your sins and rejoice together in that. Be family tonight. Share his love with each other. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you um, to celebrate, to come boldly to your throne of grace, to come to the table to remember the, the sacrifice of Christ. But Lord, we also know that there are things that get in our way. There aren't things that get in your way. You're always available. You're always longing for fellowship and for intimacy, Lord. But there are things that get in our way. Our hearts sometimes, Lord, are, are, are wooed by other things. Lord, we ask that during this music, during this time of prayer and, and reflection, Lord, that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would guide us into truth. That you would let us know that you are here and that you're not angry. But Lord, that you would convict us and correct us. And that we would receive that mercy, receive that correction from a loving Father and rejoice that you care enough about us to speak words of life to us. Lord, have your way with us and hear our cries to you in Jesus' name. Amen.